All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome. It's good to have everybody here at our Florence location. Can we show some love for everybody up at our Lawrenceburg campus, man? It's good to have you guys. Thanks so much from wherever you're tuning in. My name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor here. And as every week we say it, man, it's a privilege to have you here. And we say this, that, come on, we believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. Man, that's why we do what we do is to allow people an opportunity to encounter God's grace, to experience who Jesus is. And so wherever you are, if you're watching online or if you are live at one of our campuses, we just want to encourage you, man, to open your heart up and allow God to meet you where you are. It'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Come on, how many people here believe that? Let's go, people. Well, listen, we are in week four of a series that we started in light of the month of November. We've entitled the series November. Come on, everybody say that. November. It's basically this idea of things that maybe we need to consider intentionally saying no to in our lives. Right? As we go through life each and every day, we know this, that sometimes verbally, but more times than not subconsciously, we say yes and we say no to things we do, things we eat, the way we behave, the way we act. It's really a day-to-day in and out of saying yes and no. And ultimately, if we'll be more intentional at saying no to certain things, it'll help us be the people God's called us to be and get where he wants us to go. We've been saying through this series that ultimately, that it's our decisions that determine the direction and the momentum of our life. And so we've been saying through this series things that God wants us really to say no to, things like no to condemnation, no to our rights, and more to our responsibilities. And today, in light of the week of Thanksgiving, as we step into a season where we should be and we intentionally try to be more grateful, today we're going to talk about this idea of saying no to ingratitude. No to ingratitude, no to just missing all the things that are happening around, happening around us saying no to missing the opportunity and the privilege to say thank you, to being appreciative, to being thankful. Come on, how many people here can just say right away that you got a lot to be thankful for, even though 2020 has been a tough year? Come on, people know God's still faithful. So as we step into this, here's where I want to kind of lead off is this idea. We know this, that all of us in this room or in Lawrenceburg or watching online, right? We were all kids once. And some of us now, we're adults and we're raising up kids. And we know part of that responsibility, as we were taught, we're passing it on, is this idea of kind of passing on some manners and some morals to our kids, right? And we were taught things like how to, uh, how to eat, right? Don't talk with your mouth full, uh, you know, maybe not anymore, but don't put your elbows on the tables. Anybody have that one, like keep your elbows off the tables and Right? I mean, kind of how you eat is a big deal. You learn as a kid and how you greet when you meet somebody. Shake their hand. I know not in the age of the COVID, we don't, but right? You shake somebody's hand. You look them in the eye. You talk up. Here in the South, yes, sir. No, ma'am. How we meet, how we greet, right? How we treat people, right? We try to teach our kids. We were taught, right, to share, to be nice. Don't bully people. Knock on a door before you enter, because come on, you can't unsee some things. Let's go. That's an adult part of the message. And one of the things that obviously all of us drive the most, I know that I was taught and told over and over and over again, and I've tried to tell my kids over and over again, is are the magic words. And we all know the magic words. Come on, what are they? Please and thank you are the magic words. And the reason some of you don't have magic in your life is because they're not using the magic words. Please and thank you. Right? I mean, we're taught, it's over and over again, we're taught that when somebody does something for us, when somebody gives us a gift, that right, we're to look at that person with gratitude and appreciation and tell them thank you. We have, 
We've all been in a fortunate place where we thought we trained our kids so well to say thank you, to show gratitude, and then somebody gives them a gift, gives them a Christmas gift that they don't really like, like socks or underwear or whatever, and they drop it and walk away and don't say anything. Like We feel like it's just morbid. We want to kill our kids in the moment. Why? Because we want them to learn this idea of appreciation when somebody does something for you, when somebody does something nice to you. Right, We want them to learn this idea of appreciation. And the reason that we have to instill it and the reason that we have to be so diligent to teach it is because it's not just built into our DNA. Right, Appreciation isn't programmed in who we are. Somebody has to program it. Somebody has to teach it. Ultimately, it's this idea that appreciation is not automatic. Right, Our kids don't automatically say thank you. Somebody has to lead the way and tell them that that's how we operate, that that's the standard. And so here's the question. We, obviously, we live that and we teach that the way we interact with each other, that we should operate with appreciation. But here's the question. Do we have to have the same level of appreciation with God? Right? Even though we should say thank you to one another, do we have to say thank you to God? Obviously, we recognize there's people around us that do things for us, and those people who do things for us, we want to say thank you, but, but what about God? Come on, how many people here know that God's done some amazing things for us and does amazing things for us? So do we have to acknowledge that? I mean, after all, God knows our hearts. Doesn't he just know we're appreciative, or maybe even we don't feel it? So I want to lean into it, and here's, here's why I think this is so important. Obviously, again, as we step into the week of Thanksgiving, it's not just to get you to say thank you. Even though, again, obviously, I think if we're taught as biological kids the need, I think as spiritual kids to our Heavenly Father, we need to learn this idea of appreciation. But what I want to lean into pretty heavy today is this idea of gratitude. If you'll get a hold of it, obviously, gratitude is a gift that you give somebody else. It's appreciation and thankfulness that you express to somebody else. But what I want you to see today is the power of gratitude in your own life. Now, I believe what we're going to see is that ultimately gratitude is a key that unlocks God of doing even greater things in our life than the, the original thing we need to say thank you for. So I just want to give you the gift to learn to say thank you, to learn appreciation, gratitude, not just to one another, but ultimately to God. And so I want us to lean into this story. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 20 just real quick. And here's Here's, what, here's the principle that we see in Scripture is that this idea of having gratitude or appreciation from cover to cover, it's not something that's just, uh, it's not just something that is taught. It's not just something that God lays out for us. Again, we see this idea of worship and praise and gratefulness and attitude. It's not just encouraged, but it's expected. God expects you and God expects me to have a level of gratitude and appreciation. That might sound kind of weird, like, wait, is God on a glory kick? Well, no doubt. Come on, man. God is glorious and worthy of all glory and praise. Anybody here believe that? But God is not just a glory hound. He understands that if we will walk in gratitude, what it can do in our life. So he not only encourages gratitude, he expects gratitude. And, and here's why, if you're taking notes. And here's where we're going to go this, this whole message. Is that the purpose of God's intervention is our recognition. The purpose, the reason God does some of the things he does in our life, the reason God shows up, the reason God comes through, the reason God answers prayer, the reason God provides, isn't just because you're his children, though you are. And it's not just because he's our heavenly father, though he is. God does the things he does because he loves us and wants to take care of us, but it's more than that. 
There's a bigger principle at play than God just meeting your needs and taking care of you. What God is trying to accomplish when he does something for you is to get you to recognize what he did and ultimately who did it. Because if, come on, this is so big. Because if you don't realize in the moment how you got where you are and what God did for you in the moment, then you'll fail to miss it. You can keep going back to the source and live in the source of life. Let's go, somebody. So God wants us to recognize, come on, that he is faithful. Watch this. In John chapter 20, it is, again, one of the gospels. There's four gospels, four biographical sketches of the life of Jesus, recording ultimately his birth, but primarily three and a half years of his life. So we know who Jesus was, what he did, what he taught, the miracles he performed. And when John is writing out the biography of the life of Jesus, he ends his book with this. I want you to hear this. John chapter 20, verse 30 and verse 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So all the miracles we read in the Gospels is not all the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did even more in number and more in power than what we read in the New Testament. Why? Watch this. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power in his name. So what John is saying is the reason Jesus did the miracles he did for the people he did them for and the reason they're written down so we can read about the miracles that Jesus did is that while they experienced them and we read about them is that when we see them, it's more than just somebody experiencing a miracle. It's somebody encountering what really matters. See, if all you get is a miracle, if God, I'm in need and God meets the need. God, I need peace and God gives you peace. God, I'm struggling and God gives you strength. If all you get in the moment is that and you don't acknowledge or recognize where it came from, then that's all you have is a miracle. But let me know. You need to know. Needs show up again. Sickness shows up again. Struggle shows up again. What God does is he wants us to know we can keep living in the source of the miracle and the power of God if we'll continue to acknowledge it with gratitude. Come on, somebody. Gratitude brings us back to the source, brings us back to the place of where we can experience ongoing life, ongoing power, ongoing grace. So gratitude is ultimately a gift to yourself. The more you walk in gratitude, the more it leads you closer in your walk in your relationship with Jesus. The more you express gratitude, the more it sets you up for God to do even greater things in your life. There's a story, Luke chapter 17, that lays this out, I think, pretty well. It's a story. It's known as the story of the 10 lepers. Check it out. Verse 12, if you have your Bible. Luke chapter 17, verse 12 through 19, and as we go through these verses, the deeper we get in the story, the more important these principles lay out. It says, as he entered a village there, 10 men, how many men? 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. So we don't really know much about leprosy today. It's, it's pretty uncommon. Leprosy was pretty common in this time. And leprosy, in a very narrow way, is a nerve disease, and as your nerves die, you lose feeling, and as you lose feeling, it opens you up to all kinds of infections and diseases. You can touch a hot fire, not realize it, get infection, and you can lose digits and ears, and, and as you lose digits and ears, literally, it can start to rot. So not only are you, like, malformed, but you have a stench about you. It was everything from the disease leprosy to somebody who just had eczema or some kind of skin disorder. Anything in that category, you were considered a leper. 
And again, it doesn't fit in today's world, but at that time, especially under the Old Testament law for Jewish people, if you had a skin disorder, you were considered unclean. Unclean meant you couldn't hang out with everybody else as long as you were considered unclean. More importantly, you were not allowed to go to church. You weren't allowed in the temple. Until you were cleansed of your disease or your sickness, you were an outcast. And so lepers, and this is where you got to lean into this, these 10 guys weren't just sick. Because of their sickness, because of their leprosy, they were cultural outcasts. You weren't allowed, which means you lost your family, you lost your career, you lost everybody. You weren't allowed around them. In fact, you had to announce, it was your obligation to announce who you were and what you were going through so people could distance themselves for you. Because you didn't want someone else to get your leprosy. Come on, it's the cheese touch. Anybody know anything about the cheese touch? Cultural cooties? Like I'm trying, it's downplaying, but this is what cheese touch I, I, right here. Cheese a movie reference. I talk a lot of movie references. Sometimes they go over your head. People are like, <laughs> they're googling right now. Cheese touch. So, but these guys would have to announce. And here's what you have to lean in. These weren't just some guys who had a cold that was going to go. They were desperate. They were broken, they were outcasts, they were disconnected from everything and everybody they knew. And worse than that, I want you to think about not just their sickness, but I want you to think about their shame. Because everywhere they went, they had to verbally scream and shout, Leper! I'm a leper! So people would intentionally move out of their way so they wouldn't get too close and be considered unclean themselves. Imagine if you had to go through life Shouting out your deepest sin and sickness. Depression. I suffer with depression. I have a porn addiction. I have anxiety. I'm a liar. I watch too much Bachelorette. Like, imagine if you had to go through life, though. Imagine if everywhere you went, you had to shout your deepest sin and shame, because that's what they lived with. And so these 10 men, they come to Jesus. Why? Watch this. Verse 13, crying out. So they get to Jesus. They can't get too close because of cultural standards. And listen, as it says, they cried out saying, Jesus, everybody read this with me. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus, and then they throw in this little word, master, have mercy on us. And there's so much there because Jesus was his name. Everybody had heard about Jesus. But they threw in this, this little title, master. Master was this idea, almost like a general, like a military general, but Jesus wasn't a military general. What they were doing by calling Jesus master is they were acknowledging the authority he had. They were acknowledging that all the things they had heard, that Jesus had authority over nature, over storms, over he could cast the demon out and it would flee. He could lay hands on sick people and they would get healed. Jesus, what they were saying was, Jesus, we recognize that you have authority over our sickness. And if you command us to be healed, we'll be healed because even sickness is subject to your authority. Come on, there's nothing in your life. It might be over you, but it's under him. Jesus is our master. And so, but... I would say that, but maybe you don't say, say that. How do you see Jesus? See, because our perception determines our expectation. How you perceive something determines what you think you can get from it. Has anybody watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix? Don't be ashamed. Come on, man. I watched it. Whole series of my wife. Now, 
It's about to get some playtime because I just announced it. If you've not even seen it, it started going up on Netflix and became number one. And the picture of it is this kind of teenage girl behind a chessboard, which, ugh, I mean, I'm like, who's watching that? <laughs> well, I've seen it start like my friend, friends of mine started talking about it. And I'm just telling you, especially dudes, let me do you a favor. Lean in with you. Well, I'm not recommending it because there's some stuff. Maybe too late. I'm already in. Maybe you might want to consider watching it. Maybe not. But it's kind of like Rocky. Anybody like Rocky? Rocky Four. It's like Rocky Four, but instead of a guy who's a boxer, it's a girl who's a chess player. I know you don't even see how that leap can happen. But at the end of the day, when I turned it on, I was like, this is going to be horrible. And my wife and I, man, we absolutely love the show. It was so cool. My point is, again, that your perception determines your expectation. I thought the perception of a little girl playing chess would be absolutely lame, but it exceeded my expectation. Your perception of Jesus is so important because if you only perceive that Jesus is a teacher, then you'll only walk away every Sunday with a lesson. If you only perceive that Jesus is a prophet, you'll walk away maybe at best with a word. But if you'll perceive that Jesus is your Savior, and your king and he's master, you'll walk away with anything because God has authority over everything. And so they saw Jesus is the one who can take care of my issue. Verse 14, watch this. It says, so he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Next four words, Lawrenceburg, Florence, everybody read this with me. And as they went, say it again, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Just a side note, I got to just hang here for a second. This is a principle that you see over and over and over again, and it is the principle of faith. The principle of faith is that ultimately when God calls us to do something, God expects us to obey first, and we see results second. We want to see results first, and then we'll obey. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God says, no, no, no. If you trust me first, then I'll come through. This is how tithing works. We say, God, I don't have enough to tithe. God, if you'll bless me with more, I'll be faithful. And God says, no, you be faithful with what you have, and then I'll bless you with more. It's the same thing. We see it in the Old Testament with this guy by the name of Abraham. God told this man, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house and everything you're familiar with, and then I'll show you where I'm about to take you. We would say, God, no, show me where I'm going first, and then I'll leave. God told Moses, when Moses, remember the, the, the story, the crossing of the Red Sea? Right? The Bible says that Moses first stepped in the water, and as he went, the waters parted, which means as long as he was standing on the shore, nothing would happen. It took faith to believe if I'll step out, God will part waters. See, the reason some of us aren't experiencing what God wants us to experience is because we're waiting for God to go first, and God's waiting on you to go first and part waters in front of you. Come on. And so the Bible says, as they went, which means here they are, 10 lepers. How many? 10 lepers are looking at their skin, smelling each other's stench. And then Jesus says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. Why? Because it was up to the temple priest in the local community to determine who was clean and who was unclean, who could reenter society and who was outcast of society, who could come back to temple or church and who was kept out of church or temple. And so it was up to the temple priest to look and evaluate that person. And so the Bible says, Jesus ultimately says, hey, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, everybody say that, and as they went, which means it took a step of faith to believe the person they just called master would do what he said if they did what they needed to do. And as they went, come on, somebody, they got healed. I remember uh, this season, we're talking about our capstone offering 
uh, I, I take everything I do really, really serious, or I try to. And, you know, stepping into this year, maybe some of you are new, some of you who've been here, this, this is the first year we decided to really focus on Kingdom Builders. Kingdom Builders, again, is our generosity initiative. We want to do more than we've ever done for missions, and we're going to do it every year till Jesus comes, unless God gives me some other direction to go. And so we stepped into this year, and I was praying about, Lord, what, like, what's the goal? What's, what's the number on the wall? Lord, what's the number you want me to announce to the people that, that as a church, this is what we're going to do? And last year, our church, we gave about $3 million. Thank you for your generosity. And... And I felt like the Lord laid this number on my heart, $800,000. And so I was like, so I started telling my staff, $800,000. We're going we're to set a goal, $800,000 above and beyond what we gave last year just to missions. And I, that number, I don't know if to you, maybe for you guys that are high, high dollar, big roller people, that seemed like a really large number to me. Even though I felt like that's what God whispered in my heart. In fact, it felt so overwhelming. After I announced it to our staff, hey, this is, we're going to do $800,000, which again, that's like a, it's almost a 30% increase year to year. That's just unheard of. One morning I woke up and as soon as I woke up, like literally this panic hit me. I'm just giving you a picture in my life. I'm like, oh Jesus, what did I do? <laughs> Lord, I just told a bunch of people that you said to give 800, that we're going to give $800,000 for real, I was like, I was repenting. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry I tagged your name on that. What was I thinking? Eight, oh, God, $800,000. If I'd have said $100,000, we got $800,000, I'd look brilliant. But if I say $800,000, we get $100,000, I'm in trouble. For real, I'm laying in bed. Why I'm laying in because this is how good God is. Why I'm laying in bed fretting and anxious, I'm repenting before God, my phone dings. Ding, I pick it up. And if you don't know this, we have a group of people here who are intercessors. They pray before services. Our head intercessor is a beautiful lady by the name of Mary. And, uh, man, she is gold, and she, she encourages us as pastors. And she sends me a scripture. She says, hey, pastor, and this is what the text said in a, in a nutshell. Hey, pastor, I was praying for you this morning, and the Lord gave me this scripture to give to you. Uh, not sure what it means, but just when you get time, read it and check it out and whatever. And you think that would caught my attention, but instead I put my phone back down. <laughs> And went right back to worrying. And then I thought, you know, I probably should just read this scripture. And the scripture was in Haggai chapter 2. And basically the scripture says this. At that time, the nation of Israel was trying to rebuild the temple. And here was the scripture. All the gold is mine, says the Lord. And all the silver is mine, says the Lord. And as you build a temple, the glory of that temple will be greater than the... Basically, God was saying like, hey, Steve, I got this. And I was like, come on, thank you, Jesus. And I'm just telling you, like, I had to get up by faith and announce $800,000... And the very next week, we sat in a room with a handful of people, generous people, high-capacity high donors who, uh, who committed the first quarter of a million dollars. Then we presented it to the church, and we had about $700,000 in pledges for this year. I have every confidence we're going to hit $800,000. You know why? Because I went first, and God comes behind because that's how it works. Let's go, somebody. <clears throat> verse 15 and verse 16, watch this. So how many, how many, how many went to Jesus? Ten lepers came to Jesus. They needed a miracle. They needed healed. They recognized Jesus could do it. Verse 15 and verse 16, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Here's what I want you to hear. Just in, just in, this, in this verse, it says again that this man, he saw that he was healed. Everybody say, saw. 
He saw that he was healed. He remembered Jesus, right? Went back to Jesus and he fell at the ground and he worshiped him. What I'm telling you is that ultimately gratitude is the call to recognize, to remember, and to rejoice. To recognize, to remember, and to rejoice. And the reason a lot of us struggle with a high level of gratitude is because we recognize all the wrong and we don't recognize the right. We recognize all the stuff we still don't have and we don't recognize all the stuff God's already blessed us with. We recognize all the lack and none of the provision. And I'm telling you, if you're going and I are going to walk in an attitude of gratitude, we got to come to this place that we start recognizing all of the things that God has done for us, continues to do for us. Come on, let's go, somebody. God is faithful. We're great at grumbling and complaining about what we don't have. But this guy, as he went, he looks down and he realizes, like, this disease is gone. So at some point it happened. We don't know how long, but there was at least a small window that he had it and didn't know it. And then he saw it. Here's what I want to tell you. What is it that God has already done in your life that you haven't realized he's done? The cycle that really promotes us to this high level of gratitude starts with us just recognizing everything God has done. And I'm not talking about that God should always put a check in your mailbox and should always just like every day you wake up in a fresh miracle. I'm just telling you the fact that you woke up is a miracle, that you woke up in a bed with a roof over your head, that you had a car to get into, that you have a job to go to tomorrow, that you have food to put in your butt. Come on, God isn't just a miracle worker. God is a sustainer of life. God's with you even when you don't know it. He's working in the background even when you don't realize it. He's doing things that you don't even know because he's our heavenly father and we need to recognize what he's done. And what he's doing to recognize and then to remember once we recognize what we have we got to remember where it came from I think one of the challenges to us really walking in gratitude is too many times I myself have misguided gratitude I'm quick to thank other people or I try to be hey thank you thanks for showing up I, I walk through this building on a red hey thanks for serving thanks for being a greeter thanks for being an usher hey thanks for holding the camera thanks for loving our kids and I try to show gratitude and while at the end of the day, I truly am grateful for all of you. What God is doing through you, God is the source of. And we need not have misguided gratitude, but recognize and then remember that all we have, all we've been blessed with, the salvation that belongs to us, his presence is with us. Come on, we need to remember it's all Jesus. And so this man saw he was healed. And then watch this. He says he came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This idea of just rejoicing. Again, for us as people to people, we just try to say thank you. Hey, I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for giving to me. What does thank you look like when it's not horizontal but vertical? I think it can be as simple as God, thanks. Just a simple acknowledgement. But one of the ways that we walk in an attitude of gratitude is through worship. And part of that worship, not all of it, but part of that worship is what we do on a Sunday morning. Is showing up and just declaring, God, that's why we lift our hands and that's why we sing is because we are recognizing and remembering that all we have and everything, it's all God. And so we want to do what the leper did, man, and we want to come back singing and shouting and declaring that we serve a good God, a faithful Father who's blessed us with more we can ever imagine. Come on. And so that's what worship is. And so I want to challenge some of you who say, well, that's not me. That's not my DNA. I'm not an out loud person. Come on, listen, you need to get there. You know why? Because if it can be taught to little kids, it can be taught to you. 
And if, come on, if somebody who gave you a gift card, a birthday card with $20 in it deserves an out loud thank you, come on, a God who sent his son to die on the cross and raised from dead and gave you salvation deserves something far more out loud. And so one of the reasons that, again, that, that gratitude is a gift, gratitude is a gift, gratitude's a gift. You think, well, I'm giving, no, no, it's a gift for you. Because it brings us to this place of recognition of who God is. Is it brings us back to the place where we recognize that what we have, where it came from, what is the source of life, where does our joy come from, Where's our, where does the strength I have in my body, where does it come from? And it's all Jesus. It all belongs to him. All the glory belongs to him. But for me, it's every time we worship him, every time we recognize and remember what we do and we come and we start rejoicing, it not only causes me to look back at what he's done, but it causes me to Look forward at what he can do. Listen, let me just ask you a question. If, if this guy right here that came back to Jesus ran into another leper, what do you think he would tell him to do? I know right where you can go and take care of this. Come on, the next time, next time God does something for you and you celebrate it, what it does is it sets you up to look forward and say, if God did that then, God can do that next. If God took care of me then, God can take care of me tomorrow. If God blessed me yesterday, God can bless me next week. If God provided a job before, God can provide a job next time. Come on, if God took care of that sin, God can take care of this sin. If you're taking notes, watch this. Our guidance is to call again to recognize, to remember, and to rejoice. Again, we, we recognize we recognize who he is. We, we recognize what he's done. We remember ultimately who's responsible. And we rejoice. We come to this place of praise. We come to this place of celebration. If you're taking notes, an honest evaluation of the past can give you a hopeful expectation of the future. The more you see what God's done and realize he did it, it sets you up to have faith in the future. Check this out. Verse 17 and verse 18. These last couple of verses are really important. I want you to lean into them. So this guy, how many people went to Jesus? Ten. Verse 17. It says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? No one returned to give glory to God except this one foreigner. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but they all walked away unchanged. And nine walked away ungrateful. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus, he not only acknowledged who showed up, but he acknowledged who didn't come back. He acknowledged those who was grateful, and he realized those who were ungrateful. He said, well, he didn't say that, right? I want you to just to, like, get this idea that a failure to express gratitude in the eyes of Jesus is ingratitude. If we don't come with a heart of thanksgiving, as far as God's concerned, it's because we're not thankful. It's not because, well, that's not us. Because Jesus is saying, hey, I, I healed 10, but only one came back. Where's the other 10? And what's crazy is when I look at this, I want everybody just to hear this. Don't be offended yet. I think this is a picture of the church. This is a picture of church people. Because what's crazy is it's how loud they were in their need and then how quiet they were in their provision. Jesus, help us. Like screaming and making noise, Jesus, master. And I see this all the time. I unfortunately have lived this at times. Like I get a need and I'm praying and 
God, you got to show up. God, you got to come through. And then God comes through, God shows up, and I'm all quiet. A lot of times people come to church, and we come to church sometimes in our most desperate moments, and then when God meets the immediate need, we go away and don't come back till the next desperate moment, which means that's why we need gratitude, because gratitude is this thing of working in us, a recognition, so we don't have to come and go. We can stay in the life of who Jesus is. And so Jesus is looking. He's looking. Where are the, where are the other ones? How come there's only one person expressing gratitude? How come only one person showed up to give praise, even though I healed all 10? And I can hear you. Some of you are like, man, if I would be more grateful if I saw really big things. I mean, I don't know how you can get bigger than like salvation, the forgiveness of your sin, eternity with the heavenly father, an open door to a relationship with God. You can pray anytime to a God who step right into the throne of grace. I don't know how you get bigger than that, but... <laughs> I can hear some of us thinking, man, if God healed my, like if I had had leprosy and Jesus healed leprosy, like I would be really verbal and vocal too. If I saw something big, I would worship big. Did you know, did you know that, that God's word talks about your sin and my sin as a type of spiritual leprosy? That the same way these 10 men and other people like them who had leprosy were cultural outcasts and separated from God's presence in the temple because of their physical issue. That Jesus basically says, if you have sin in your life, it's a type of spiritual leprosy that separates you from a, a holy God. In the same way Jesus showed up and healed these 10 men physically of leprosy, that's ultimately why Jesus came. Jesus came to be the savior of the world, to heal us of spiritual leprosy so we could be reconnected with our heavenly father. What I'm telling you is if you're saying, hey, I would get loud and be vocal too if he healed my leprosy, I came to tell you today that's exactly what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He healed our spiritual leprosy. I would just say this. If you're watching this or in Lawrenceburg or you're here in Florence and you've never asked Jesus, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sin? Will you heal me of my spiritual leprosy? I want you to know that if you'll do that, Jesus will meet you right where you are in the moment you whisper that prayer, in the second you turn to him, and Jesus will heal you of your sin. Jesus will forgive you. He'll step into your life, and he'll change you forever. And in that moment and forever forward, you'll be a child of God. All you got to do is say, Jesus, save me. So verse 19 is where it kind of comes to this apex. Watch this. It says, and Jesus said to the one, so 10 got healed. One came back. Jesus recognized as much those who didn't come back as those who did. Then he turns his attention to the one and watch how it ends. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. I just talked about this same principle two weeks ago. I don't apologize because I'm not being redundant. What I want you to see is the pattern of what happens with people who have a radical encounter with Jesus. I told you the same story two weeks ago with the woman with the issue of blood. Now it shows up again, this principle. I just want to peel back in these closing moments of this leper. That the same way with the woman with the issue of blood and the same way with this leper, they came with one thing in mind, I'm sick and I need healed. But they came with faith. And anytime you open up one area of your life, God will just start to spill over. If you'll open up your heart, he'll do more than you can ever imagine. And so these words, when the Bible says that this man saw that he was healed, and then Jesus said, stand and go, your faith has healed you. It's two different words. I just told you about this. But one, 
When he saw that he was healed, he was talking about his skin. When Jesus said, go, you're healed, he was talking about his sin. When he, what he wanted was on the outside, but what Jesus really wanted was on the inside. What the man hoped for was just a part of his life. What Jesus had for him encountered his whole life. What I'm telling you is if you'll open up and just begin to recognize where Jesus is showing up, maybe in small areas or individual areas in your life, it'll open your life up for God to take over, for God to show up, for God to heal, heal sicknesses and diseases and relationships and struggles that you didn't think he could or he would. If you'll open up just a portion of your life and recognize where he showed up, God will pour in and take over and God will do things that you've never even begun if you'll just give him the opportunity through the attitude of gratitude. So this guy came and said, Jesus, will you heal my skin? And he had faith. I believe you're the master. You can do it. And when he came back in gratitude, when he came back with thanksgiving, Jesus said, now you can go because I didn't just take care of your skin. I took care of your sin. I just didn't take care of the outside. I took care of the inside. So nine of them, they all 10 got a miracle. All 10 got a miracle. But only one experienced the life change Jesus really wanted them to experience. And the difference between the nine and the one was gratitude. Gratitude isn't just what you give other people. From God's perspective, gratitude unlocks in us who he is that opens him up to do even more in our life. Real quick, we'll close with these words. I want to just give you this cycle. Give you these three words and we'll close. Gratitude, humility, and grace. Gratitude, humility, and grace. Lawrenceburg, come on, Florence, I want you to say these three words. Gratitude, humility, and grace. This is, this is the gratitude cycle. When you come with gratitude, you can't really have gratitude without it eventually living, leaving, leading to humility. Because the more you're thankful to God, the more you recognize, I wouldn't have what I have. I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't without you. And so, God, I'm, I'm just dependent on you. It's, it's you. It's your strength. It's your peace. It's your provision. It's your hope. It's you. So the more gratitude we have creates more humility. And the more humility you have, James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So that humility you have when you recognize it's all God, it's all from him, you know what it does? It opens you up to even more grace. You know what grace is? Grace isn't just forgiveness of sin. Ultimately, the word grace means gifts. It's the favor of God. It's the provision of God. It's, it's his ability, which means the more gratitude you have, it just drives humility. And the more humility you have, the Bible says the more grace you'll have. And the more grace you have, ultimately, the more gratitude you should have. And if you have gratitude, you'll be humble. And if you're humble, you'll get more grace. What I'm telling you is God is saying, if you'll unlock gratitude in your life, it'll unlock me to do more in and through your life. But it all starts with gratitude. And so how many of us in this room, as we step into the week of Thanksgiving, we're going to be thankful. Come on for turkeys. Where's all the turkey people? For hams, where's all the ham people? Vegans, where's all you poor vegans at this week? You get yams. As we step into Thanksgiving, here's my challenge. Here's my challenge. It's simple. This is a life lesson, but if you'll just do this this week, can I just challenge you to just recognize? If you want to make a mental list, great, but I maybe would encourage you to open up notes on your phone or 
get a pen and paper, and just start writing all the things you have, all the things that God's done. Just recognize, just, man, I'm blessed. I got a beautiful wife. I got three great kids. I have this privilege to pastor this great church. I got a nice car. I got money in the bank. I got a car. I got my health. I'm good looking as all get out. Lord, thank you for, this is just amazing. That'll make the list at three, at least three or four times. Lord, thank you. You know, like just list it out. God, some, some of you have business. It's, I know it's maybe your business isn't where you want it to be, but you still got a business. I know your marriage isn't what, isn't what you, maybe what you want to be, but some of you are married. Some of you are saying, I wish I could be married. Maybe you're not married because God's holding you out for the right person. Just write it all down. Just recognize all the blessings in your life. And then I want you to take a minute to remember where all those blessings came from. Who got you that business, that family, that provision, that education? And then just spend a few minutes acknowledging him. Father, I thank you. I give you my greatest, deepest gratitude for all you've done for me. In Jesus' name. Father, I love you, Lord. I pray God help us this week to walk in an attitude of gratitude for all the great things you continue to do, Lord. Not just to say thank you to you, but God, to open us up to what you really want to do in a greater measure than we've ever experienced. Lord, we truly are humble for your provision and strength and grace and salvation in our life. Help us to walk it out and express it in Jesus' name. Everybody who agreed said amen.